welcome to X-Men Unraveled. I'm Noelle, and in this podcast, I cover the stories of the X-Men in chronological order. Today, I'm continuing with the life of Aurora Monroe, who will grow up, of course, to be the X-Man Storm. Last time, I went over her early life and an adventure with ties to Apocalypse and his servant, Ozymandias. Today, I'm following another story of her early years, up to about the age of 12, from the series Storm, published in 2006. Aurora goes through numerous hardships in her early years, from the loss of her parents to living as an orphan who has to survive through thievery. But Aurora overcomes all of these hardships to become one of the top-tier X-Men. A couple parts in the stories today mention rape or attempted rape. I'll make it brief when I get to those, but just a heads up that that is present in today's episode. But let's jump back into Aurora's story. Before I get to the Storm series, I want to briefly cover an event from Aurora's early life that will have ramifications a couple decades later. While she's still a young thief under the protection of Ahmed El-Jabbar, her mentor that we met last episode, Aurora steals a jewel called the Heart of Eternal Darkness in X-Men number 60. Aurora wanted to prove her skill to El-Jabbar, so when she learns of a valuable jewel locked away in a mansion outside of Cairo, she sets out to take it. Aurora tells fellow X-Men this story later in her life, when the consequences come back to bite her in the ass. But it's kind of sad, because Aurora seems to carry a lot of guilt and remorse about her times as a thief when she's a child. Obviously, the adult Storm, who is well-respected and powerful, wouldn't have to live by thievery, and she seems ashamed of her past. But to me, it definitely seems like she's too hard on herself. She was an orphan, alone in the world, and just trying to survive. And El-Jabbar, who's her protector, did encourage her to live by stealing and taught her to be the best at it. So it seems to me that she didn't have much of a choice at the time. But as an adult, she must feel like there was always something she could have done differently. So that's part of her story, is saying how basically bad she feels about living that way. So one night, young Aurora leaves the compound where she lives with El-Jabbar and the other orphans to sneak to a mansion housing this jewel, which appears to be a large, bright, glowing ruby. Conveniently, this jewel that is being protected by multiple armed guards is also kept in a room with a large glass ceiling. So Aurora rappels down a rope straight to a glass case holding the jewel. She's able to pick the lock and gets back outside with the ruby and the guards don't even notice her. But when she's on the roof, a really bright light starts shining out of the case and then lightning starts shooting out at all of the guards who catch on fire and die. Very Raiders of the Lost Ark. Aurora reasonably freaks out and gets off the building and runs away, which she does just in time, because the light keeps growing brighter and the building is destroyed in an explosion. So clearly this jewel is more than just a giant ruby. Aurora makes her way back home to El-Jabbar's compound, and when she presents it to him, she does not get the reaction she expected. Her plan was most likely for them to sell the jewel and fund El-Jabbar's orphan home for a while, and her getting all the credit for undertaking this dangerous mission. But when she hands him the jewel, he's like, oh, this is not great. 
and says that he hopes that the, quote, bright lady will forgive Aurora for what she's done. It turns out that this jewel contains the essence of an immortal mutant named Kandra. She's a member of a group known as the Externals, who are a powerful cabal of ancient mutants who work together to control world events and gain power and wealth. Another member of this group is Apocalypse, so not really a group you want to be pissed off at you. Kandra had turned against a plan that the externals made to like solidify their alliance and use their powers together in the 12th century CE. Sounds like she didn't want to really share power, and she was worried that they would react poorly to her refusal, so she placed part of her essence, or soul, I guess, in the jewel so the other externals wouldn't be able to kill her. So basically, it's a horcrux. And this is what Aurora stole. And Eljabar was afraid that this powerful mutant would come after little Aurora for stealing it. Luckily for Aurora, at the time, Kandra doesn't know what happened to the jewel for about 20 years or so. And by that time, Storm is powerful and has powerful friends to help her face Kandra's anger. We'll definitely get to more Kandra stories and her background later because she's important to Gambit's backstory, but I just wanted to introduce her and Aurora's unfortunate mistake that puts her on a collision path with Kandra. Okay, so let's get into the series Storm from 2006, which picks up on Storm's life when she is 12 years old. By this time, she's left Cairo and is now living in another part of Africa. It's not specified where, but it seems that she left Cairo to make her way toward her mother's homeland, Kenya. There is a lot of space between Cairo and Kenya, so she could be anywhere in Egypt, Sudan, South Sudan, or Northern Kenya. Wherever she is, she has joined a new band of orphans and survivors like herself, and they live in a small village in the jungle together. Much like when she lived with El Jabbar, they survived together through thievery. But her new compatriots have not all accepted Aurora into their ranks. A couple of them continuously remind her that she's American, not African, despite her mother's heritage. She also stands out with her pure white hair and blue eyes. So she always feels the need to prove herself better than anyone else as a thief or useful to the group. Her main rival here is named Zenja, and because, of course, a female character can't have female friends, and so Zenja makes Aurora's life quite difficult. One day, Aurora is in a market with Zenja and a couple of others from their group when they spot a group of white men, who we learn are poachers, and one of them is carrying a really nice camera. Aurora lets it slip that she wants the camera because it reminds her of her father and her childhood. And when the others realize that she wants it so badly, Aurora's fellow thieves start taunting her. At first, she says no, she's afraid to risk her life for a camera because she can see that the men are carrying guns. But Zenja tells her that Aurora is just a lazy American like the men and she can't take the camera anyway. And that's enough for Aurora. She's like, fuck it, I'll do it anyway. So she goes after the men and grabs the camera. Obviously, they start chasing her, so she's running as fast as she can. But Aurora is actually the slowest runner of her band of thieves. And her friends tell her to give them the camera so she can escape. But she wants to do this on her own, so she refuses. Unfortunately, as she's running, Aurora falls down. 
or Zinja trips her. It's a little hard to tell. And the men catch up and point their guns at her. And that's when we see Aurora's powers emerge again. We got a glimpse of them last time when she was trapped in the pyramid. And in this story, she's starting to realize that she has special abilities, but she doesn't know how or why or how to control them. So we see Aurora's eyes light up and a flash of lightning strikes between her and the men. And then the wind picks up and brings in a thick fog that obscures Aurora from the men and giving her a chance to escape. Aurora then makes it back to her village where she lives with the band of thieves and she's celebrated for her success by a lot of them. But just like in the series from the last episode, she still tends to keep to herself. So she goes off alone to inspect the camera. It reminds her of her parents and the short time that she had with them. Her father was a photojournalist and she remembers him always having his camera with him. No matter how much time goes by or how much Aurora proves herself to her comrades, she constantly feels the loss of her family and the life that they should have had. But she's also starting to realize that the weather is reacting directly to her emotions, but she can't control it. So Aurora is sitting with her camera when her current teacher comes up to her to talk. We don't know his name because for some reason lots of people in this story are not given names. We just know him as teacher. But he comes up behind her and unintentionally startles her. And her reaction of just quick, intense fear causes a lightning strike in the distance. And her teacher starts talking to her about how she needs to improve her thieving skills and that going to the market with the other children puts her behind in her lessons. And he also says how Eljabar was all right, but he's really good. So she has a lot to learn from him. Aurora tries to tell him how it's really important for her to prove herself to others in the group, but her teacher cuts her off and tells her she needs to lead and not follow. She then starts criticizing herself, that she wasn't fast enough or strong enough, and she had to rely on the wind to escape rather than her own physical abilities. And her teacher stops her and asks if the other kids saw what she did with the weather. She says they didn't because they ran off and left her behind. So he just kind of takes this announcement of her powers in stride, lets it go, and then puts her to work picking locks for practice. But there's a problem because the poacher she stole the camera from did notice Aurora's powers in the market. He saw her eyes change when she unintentionally affected the weather. And Aurora, when she stole the camera, had been wearing a short, dark wig, but it fell off as she ran away and revealed her white hair. The poacher, whose name we don't know, tells his colleagues that he wants to capture and sell her for her powers and calls her a wind rider. So he sends his men to go figure out where she went. It's worth noting that the poachers are super racist and make disparaging comments about African people. So just in case you thought people trying to capture and sell a child might be okay, they're not. Importantly, they are white men from South Africa, which is still under apartheid at the time of this story. As they're searching for Aurora, they see lightning in the forest from when Aurora was startled. And since there's no clouds or storms nearby, they realize that must be where she is. So they start making their way toward the camp. On the way, they come across Zenja and recognize her as one of the group with Aurora in the market. Zenja pretty easily offers to help the men find her. And given that we know she doesn't think the most of Aurora, that's not a great turn. But even though Zenja has a grudge against Aurora, she's actually trying to help her. She leads the poachers in circles for a while, and when they get close enough, she calls out to Aurora to run. 
Aurora tries to help Zenja, but the men shoot her with a tranquilizer gun, and she's captured. But when the men realize they have the wrong girl, they just leave Zenja on the ground and go after Aurora. But one of the men stays and starts talking about how beautiful Zenja is and making really gross remarks about black women. He then starts unbuttoning his pants, but before he can do anything, a random boy comes up from behind and knocks him out, saving Zenja. But now the poachers are chasing Aurora, and she's trying to escape through the forest. She's terrified, and she starts thinking to herself that she doesn't want to die with nothing in her past but six years as a thief. And as she's terrified and sad at the course her life has taken, she's suddenly lifted into the air by the wind, because her agitation brought her powers out again. But she doesn't have control, and it doesn't last, so she falls to the ground right in front of the men. Poacher shoots another tranquilizer dart and is able to catch her. However, she's saved when the boy who helped Zenja comes up and takes out all of the poachers. Before the sedative kicks in, she asks the boy who he is, and he answers that his name is T'Challa. While Aurora is unconscious, T'Challa carries her back to the village and to her teacher. He introduces himself to T'Challa as teacher, which is really annoying, just give him a name. But then he berates T'Challa for allowing the poachers to live. Teacher feels they should have been killed for their actions. T'Challa argues with him, but teacher still invites T'Challa to stay and heal up from his injuries. He then asks who T'Challa is, and he learns that he's a prince of Wakanda. And the teacher is in awe to find this out, but they soon start arguing again when T'Challa questions teacher's method of survival, criticizing him for teaching children to steal. And teacher argues right back and tells T'Challa that he does what needs to be done to keep the children alive in a world that doesn't care about them. He goes on that T'Challa, being a rich royal, doesn't understand the realities of the world for others. Despite their differences, Teacher allows T'Challa to stay and watch over Aurora. He's really concerned about her. And when Aurora wakes up, T'Challa is still waiting because he wanted to make sure she was okay. They talk for a minute, and then he goes out and meets the other children in the compound. And they all start telling him their stories of what they've been through. Disease, famine, war, and they ask him to talk to the king of Wakanda to help. He says he'll see what he can do. At this time, T'Challa is on a journey, like a rite of passage, to learn about the world. So that's why he's in this random place alone. And it really seems like the circumstances that Aurora and her comrades live in are a shock to him. T'Challa stays with them for a while and gets to know everyone. And he and Aurora definitely have a thing for each other and they start spending a lot of time together. It's kind of weird because she's 12 and they really felt the need to put this love story in this series. At one point, they're having a conversation and Aurora makes a vague comment about not being that kind of girl and implying that if T'Challa wants to sleep with someone to go find someone else. It's just really uncomfortable to read about a 12-year-old. But they keep hanging out together and Aurora decides to leave her home in the village to travel with T'Challa. And we get a scene where Teacher is telling Zenja that she left, and it makes sense, because he's a prince, and she's descended from priestesses and is the daughter of the gods. So in his mind, they make sense together. Then we also learn that Zenja is Teacher's daughter, and we see her get really jealous of how much Teacher respects Aurora. 
So one day, Aurora and T'Challa go to the market where Aurora is usually stealing, and T'Challa tells her basically to behave when she's with him. She reacts pretty poorly to that, obviously, and tells him off, saying he might be a Wakandan prince, but he's not Prince of Aurora. He backs off, and Aurora is browsing around the market when a shopkeeper tells her that she can see how much T'Challa likes her. And so Aurora buys a dress, and the woman gives her a pair of earrings as a gift when Aurora says she can't afford them, because she wants to show off for T'Challa. That night, they make camp and start telling each other their feelings, but Aurora is nervous because her powers react to her emotions. T'Challa tells her it's okay and kisses her, but then lightning strikes the tree they're under, which would be so embarrassing I would die. But T'Challa's like, it's okay, and he's not afraid, and tells Aurora that she's gifted. She says that she just wants to be normal like everyone else. But T'Challa tells her she needs to work with her gift, and she can learn how to control it. Then Aurora goes to put on her new dress and earrings, and the comic gets super uncomfortable because she undresses with T'Challa. Not that I give two shits about a sex scene, but again, Aurora is 12 years old, and she's drawn, like, from behind with only her butt covered, looking like an adult woman, and I just don't even know what the writers were thinking with this story. Age her up or something, because it's super weird that this story is about a 12-year-old girl. They don't say T'Challa's age, but he's probably only like a year or two older, so at least they're age-appropriate but it is not fun to read a physical romance story about literal children. Really just creeped me out. Anyway, while Aurora and T'Challa are off on their adventure together, the poacher is heading back to the village of Aurora's teacher and friends. He's determined to find Aurora and has brought his brother along, who's just called Bull, and they get a group together to go storm the village. At the end of it, they capture Teacher and Zenja and demand to know where Aurora has gone. Zenja reveals that Aurora left with a Wakandan prince, and that sets the poacher's brother Bull off. He apparently hates Wakanda for its wealth and stockpile of vibranium. He says that it's not fair that they get to hoard all this wealth and don't share it with the rest of Africa, which on one hand may be a fair complaint, but when you're a white guy from apartheid South Africa, I mean, you don't really care about the rest of the people there. So anyway... Bull is after T'Challa, and his brother is after Aurora. They are on a mission. So they grab Zenja and Teacher, toss them in a helicopter tied up, and bring them along to search. But when Bull learns in a conversation that Teacher is Wakandan also, he throws him out of the helicopter as it's flying through the air. And Zenja, of course, has to see her father killed. Then they spot a lightning strike in the distance, and again, no clouds. They know where Aurora and T'Challa are. The poachers have also brought with them, conveniently, a container made of vibranium that will block Aurora's powers. Apparently, their father used it, or planned to use it, against one of Aurora's ancestors. Her lineage has a history of being able to control the weather, and these two poachers' family history includes wanting to capture people and sell them for their mutant powers. And a lot happens really quickly when the poachers catch up to Aurora and T'Challa. Aurora gets tranquilized again, and they put her in the vibranium box to stop her powers, but she was off on her own at a waterfall, so T'Challa doesn't know about her capture. Bull then finds T'Challa and attacks him. He's way bigger than T'Challa and is nearly able to kill him, but just in time, the brother shows up and shoots Bull with a bunch of tranquilizer darts. 
It's not super clear why he does this traitorous thing, but he makes a comment about Bull shaming South Africa in his vendetta against Wakanda. Whatever works, it helps T'Challa. Meanwhile, Zenja, the teacher's daughter, is still tied up in the helicopter, and the awful creep poacher dude who tried to rape her before comes after her again. She convinces him that she's going to go along with it and have sex with him so that he'll untie her. And when he unties her and gets close enough, she bites his ear, which he jumps back and she gets free and grabs his knife and stabs him, which good for her. Then she rushes over to Aurora and starts working to break her out of the vibranium container. But Zenja this time does not want to save Aurora. She's jealous of her for the attention her powers get and for being the one to get her father's admiration. Apparently, at one point, Zenja overheard her father say that he wished Aurora was his daughter. Which, fair enough to be mad about, but maybe don't be mad at Aurora. None of this is her fault. Zenja also blames Aurora for getting her father killed and their village attacked. But Aurora sends a blast of lightning against Zenja, and she looks like she's going to get away, but then Bull shows up and attacks Aurora. She throws lightning at him, but for some reason, that doesn't faze him. She and T'Challa end up captured and put in the helicopter in chains. Aurora tries to use her power, but she's too weak from having used them twice already, and she's just getting control of them, so it's a lot for her. But she is able to put her thief skills to work and gets herself and T'Challa free from the chains. And she gets a little more respect from T'Challa for what she knows from stealing all this time. And once he's free, T'Challa is able to attack Bull, but in the fight, they fall out of the helicopter. Aurora doesn't know what to do at first, but she leaps out of the helicopter, just hoping she can harness her powers and save herself and T'Challa, which is pretty ballsy since she just got some semblance of control over her abilities. She and T'Challa are falling toward the ground, and she's able to summon a wind to cushion their fall, and they're able to land safely. And then she's able to bring rain and put out the fires in the village and save what's left of her home. She's also kind of flying in the air at this point, so everyone is shocked to learn that she can do this. After this, Aurora doesn't stay in the village. She and T'Challa continued to travel together, but at some point along the way, T'Challa has to return to Wakanda and his duties as the prince. So he leaves Aurora and she continues on and makes her way toward her mother's homeland. In X-Men number 77, we learn that Aurora traveled all the way to the Kilimanjaro Valley on the border between Kenya and Tanzania, and she meets a woman there named Inette, who was a priestess. She is able to train Aurora to use her powers, and Aurora spent years there, so Inette became like a second mother to Aurora. Eventually, in the village where she lives with Inette, Aurora becomes revered for her powers and viewed as a goddess. And that is where I'm going to leave Aurora's story for now. We will catch back up with her later when she joins the X-Men. I really enjoyed reading about Aurora's childhood. She's such a strong character as an adult, and it's not hard to see why. By this time, she has survived the loss of her parents, the difficulties of surviving as an orphan, and her life as a thief isn't easy. People don't react well to things being stolen, so every time she does, it's pretty dangerous. But by the end of this story, she's come to terms with her powers, even though she doesn't know she's a mutant yet, and she started her relationship with T'Challa, which will also be an important part of her life later on. So I hope you enjoyed this look at Aurora's early life. Next episode, I'm getting to the formation of the X-Men. I'm going to spend a few episodes on that so we can get to know all of the original team members. 
Don't forget, you can follow the pod and news on Instagram at X-Men Unraveled or on Twitter, again, at X-Men Unraveled. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. Bye.